This is PhotoBizX, episode number 432, and today we are talking email marketing, branding for a photography business to actually attract clients, and booking clients out of area. So if you love to travel and would like to be booking clients on those travels, this interview is for you today. Our special guest is Doug Wheaton-Heller of Twig and Olive Photography, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm coming to you from our brand new home. (laughs) So I'm guessing the sound will be a little bit different. You have to let me know if it's too echoey or if the audio quality is unlistenable at all. Now, we're going to get into today's interview in just a second. I know you're going to love what Doug has to share. Before we get into that, if you haven't caught last week's episode with Rick Liston, make sure you get back and have a listen to that one. What I am so surprised at so far is I've heard little feedback about that interview because I was absolutely in love with the ideas that Rick presented last week, particularly if you are a wedding photographer and are looking to book more midweek weddings, are looking to book more weddings in general, and just want to get known in your area by networking effectively with businesses higher up the food chain. And when I say higher up the food chain, of course, I'm talking about reception venues. If that is you in any way, make sure you get back and have a listen to what Rick had to share. Plus, if you want to introduce automation or any kind of outsourcing, he shares an absolute ton. So that's last week's episode with Rick Liston. PhotoBizX.com. Real advice, real strategies, and real ideas to build your photography business. Just before we jump into this interview with Doug, if you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, all that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Doug. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. So if you want to learn more from Doug, learn how they are branding and positioning themselves to attract so many clients across the country and around the world, you can do that for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. Head over to photobizx.com forward slash try for more details on that $1 trial membership. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is one of four who have teamed up and created a unique business that involves a lot of travel, photography, product creation, speaking, and teaching. They're super active on social media, and they've attracted a ton of fantastic reviews and appear to be living the dream. Their catch cry is unposed narrative photography of the people you love. They're based in Madison, Wisconsin in the US, and they are constantly traveling the world. Their focus in regards to photography are weddings, families, and styled newborn sessions. Now, I'm talking about Twig and Olive, and I'm rapt to say that our guest today is Doug Wheatonhiller, one of the team. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful introduction. I, I should almost hire you to kind of copy out some things. That was extremely well done. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the only thing I didn't check and I'm not sure of was your surname. Was I close? 
Yeah, no, it was good. You, uh, you're not quite fully German invested on it. That's more of a Whitenhiller, but I will definitely take what I can get on that. It's complex. Okay, awesome. Well, I have to say, I actually have German descent. My parents are both German, so I guessed it was German, and I tried to add a little bit of that, but maybe not enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did brilliantly. So tell me about the four of you in this team. Are you all photographers? Do you all have separate roles? Do you all travel together? Give us a bit of an idea of, of how Twig and Olive works. So Twig and Olive was one of those things that happened very much by happenstance. My wife and I had started a photography business years ago, back in the wild, wild west days of photography, where it was kind of that transition from film to digital. We had been doing film photography, but digital, social media, and all those other advents kind of allowed us to grow a business and do things outside of kind of what we had been doing prior to that, you know, in our, in our professional careers. And our business partner, somebody else also local, uh, right near us was doing the exact same thing. And just again, by happenstance, we had attended a workshop together in a completely different part of the US. And we're like, oh, hey, you're that person that's in my hometown. Hey, you're that person. You know, we kind of found that we had a lot of mutual likes. It was a couple of years later after working kind of in parallel together that we were like, you know, this would be really smart from a business standpoint if instead of you doing your thing and, and us doing our thing, you know, we just have one business together and we do something mutual together. And that's kind of how Twig and Olive got its start. And so Twig and Olive as a business itself is only about six years old. We've been doing photography, all three of us, much longer. And so the three people I'm speaking of, so it's my wife, Courtney, and myself, Bobby, our business partner who we're in business with together. So we're all the photographers and we all kind of have our our roles within the company. And I can talk more about that. Um, we also have Darcy as well. Darcy's a very important, integral part of our company. She is the person who does all of the unfun work, <laughs> I mean, the behind the scenes to make sure that she is oiling the engine to make sure that products are sent out and clients are communicated with and kind of all that stuff is done. But uh, yeah, the three of us, Bobby, Courtney, and myself, we're all photographers. And part of the reason I think that the Twig and Olive is as functional as, as it is today is that we all kind of have our specialties within the brand. Bobby speaks more to the business side of things. And she kind of came from that background where she was like, I want to establish client relationships, client customer you know, satisfaction, kind of making sure that everybody is having their questions answered before they're asked. Courtney's background is much more from the stylistic standpoint of an image and editing and the beauty of, of everything and, and kind of moving the brand forward in terms of making sure that it, not only is it cutting edge, not only are we doing kind of these narratives, but we're doing something that is is beautiful and, and very editable and very beautiful from that standpoint. I do a lot of the IT stuff. <laughs> I do a lot of the, <laughs> I'm very nerdy. <laughs> I'm very proud of being very nerdy, but I do a lot of the stuff that makes sure that the stuff in the background is working. And then I can talk a lot about those projects that I'm doing that'll bore you to death, but those are kind of our roles within it. God, okay. Let me take you back to the time when you you're thinking about joining forces with Bobby and creating this team. I'm guessing you have a chat over coffee and you correct me if I'm wrong here. You both, or you all three of you, like the idea. Do you get a solicitor involved? Do you work out the pay structure, the profit share? Like, how does the business side of that connection work? So, those are really excellent questions. I would love to say that we got over a cup of coffee and had that conversation. The reality of it is, is it was done in Mexico over a few glasses of tequila. Even better. <laughs> so, <laughs> as all great business decisions are done, uh, what had happened was. When we had first, like I said, we had first kind of started 
met at that workshop and we had a lot of things that were in common in terms of the desire for beautiful images, taking care of clients, making sure that we're working incredibly hard. I mean, it's a very similar work ethic between the three of us. And the conversations kind of said like, hey, you know, if we could create a workflow, because what we're going to do for every single client is really identical. It's very unsanctimonious that I can say that we've kind of McDonald's <laughs> our workflow, which is not, which it doesn't sound great, right? But it's the same thing for every single client that we're doing. We're just going to create a workflow that's very boutique to that, right? I'm not making French fries here. Sorry, I'm talking to an Australian, not McDonald's, Mackers, right? Isn't that what you guys call it? <laughs> Mackers, Mackers and chips. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure that we're doing something a little bit more boutique than, than that. But at the same time, the workflow is so similar. And that's what we started realizing early on. So when we were having those conversations and we were like, look, if we're going to do this, we need to be very much on the same page about our client presentation and our product presentation, what we're going to be doing. Now, to your other question about how we structure that out, whether it's a solicitor, whether we get a lawyer, whether we get somebody involved, that turns out to be a much more complex problem. So with Courtney and I being husband and wife, we obviously, we have joint checking account. We have one pool of money that we draft from. We know of our personal finances in and out. But when you bring somebody else in, and again, to be very clear, it's not that Courtney and I brought Bobby in. This is very much a 50-50 mutual thing between Courtney, Bobby, and myself. When we're working together, we've got to have a very open book financially about what it is that we're going to do. And I can tell you that Bobby knows my financial situation in terms of what I'm putting into retirement, how I'm doing my taxes. I mean, it's an open book. I know she knows everything about that because she does so much work with the financial end of the business. And much the same that I know that about her in terms of how she's running her personal life. It's almost like uh, marriage, <laughs> but one that's way harder to get a divorce from. And I can give you, Andrew, too, there was um, there's been a few people over the years, actually several people now, that have hired us for one-on-one mentoring to sit and talk about what it means to merge together a business. And I am very, I don't know if I'm proud to say this or not, <laughs> but the majority of people that do the one-on-one and pay us the money to do the one-on-one mentoring end up not going into business yeah, together. I can imagine. I can imagine. It, right. Because it is, it's that very real conversation saying like, you need to have implicit trust and understanding that it's not just about doing the business with somebody else. It is the financials of doing it with somebody else. And you are so entwined with somebody's finances, financial reputation, that it is a huge extension of your trust to be able to do that with somebody. And that's the main reason that most people end up not doing it, which I always find funny. <laughs> yeah, I actually went through something similar. I formed a partnership with another photographer for a second studio and we had to sit down with the solicitor and that solicitor asked us all sorts of uncomfortable questions that uh, we weren't prepared for, like what happens if one of you dies? What happens if one of you wants to get out? Who gets to first dibs at the business if someone wants to sell? All these different things. How much is the minimum you're going to keep in the account? What are you going to do if it falls below that? When are you going to take profits out of the business? So I'm guessing you had all those same conversations. So can you tell us for you guys now, let's say you book a wedding and let's say for round figures, it's $9,000. I'm guessing you don't all take $3,000 each out of that invoice. Well, yes and no. So what we've done is 
in the very early days of it, we, when we had first formed the union, we had drafted articles of business operations. So the U.S., you can do LLC. We had done a certain taxation under an S-corp. We had created an understanding that each one of us owned one-third of Twig and Olive. It actually creates a little bit of complexity because Courtney and I are married. So the complexity there is, in that sense, as a husband and wife, we own two-thirds of Twig and Olive, whereas Bobby, as has no spouse, owns one-third. So from a voting rights standpoint, husband and wife team has some additional clout that has to be balanced off of what Bobby is doing. Yes. Conversely, it also runs into the risk of what happens if, God forbid, something happens to Courtney and I. We've been happily married 19 years. I don't, know that, I don't see that changing anytime <laughs> soon. But what happens if something happens between Courtney and I? And now we've got three different you know, people with a background to that. So we've always kind of taken an understanding of how that was. But a few years ago, we actually took the hard steps to reach out to a lawyer. And we had interviewed, actually, a couple of different lawyers in our area. And we had said, look, this is our business circumstances. This is our business situation. And we need to formalize the procedures, basically, of what happens in all of these scenarios. And the person we had selected was brilliant. She was an associate lawyer for a larger firm. So from a price standpoint, it cost, uh, I think, about $1,000 roughly US for us to go ahead and meet with this person. And what she had done is drafted articles that had said, this is how each one of you have uh, clout within the company. And we had designated X number of quote unquote shares of the business that we had put into determining how the business is actually being run. It's interesting in the fact that in the, <laughs> Bobby's sitting next to me right now, so I'm going to be really careful how I say this, but I'm the only guy in the company of the three owners. So I have a different perspective on things. My wife and I have a different perspective because we're married. My relationship to Bobby is we're friends, have a different relationship. And what most people think is, oh, you and Courtney are just going to agree on everything the whole time. And that's actually not the case. We come to votes on things. And sometimes we vote in unison where all three of us are like, this is a brilliant idea. And sometimes it's a two, three, you know, it's two out of three and we make a decision. I can think of countless examples of things that I wanted that the two women that I'm working with were like, nope, we're not doing that. There's times that Bobby and I agree on things and there's times that Courtney and I agree on things. And we've just, in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, you know, there's that risk that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. But after doing this for a while, we're like, no, in the best interest of the company, we have to make decisions on what we think is going to work. And that sometimes means that somebody doesn't always agree. That understanding was so fundamental to the continued success, not the foundational success of Twig, but our continued success in that we can make decisions and we can move on from it if we don't always all collectively agree on on something. So those articles are important. And those articles of definition, you know, it took a while for us to be like, it's okay that these exist. And now we have a mechanism in place for making decisions we have. And most of the time we do agree, but you know, sometimes we don't. And we have a mechanism in place for what happens in case, you know, one of us dies, which is, <laughs> we've just went through a, or actually I didn't say through, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And so there could be any number of things that could end up causing huge derailments to our future success. What happens if, if that happens? So there's all these scenarios that can happen. And so now I can say with great confidence, you know, we have a plan in place, not only for our families, but for our business. And I think, Andrew, the most important thing that we made, the most important distinction from a standpoint is, is that 
Twig and Olive isn't Doug, it isn't Courtney, it isn't Bobby. What are the decisions that we're making? The decisions that we're making are in the best interest of Twig and Olive. It's not necessarily in the best interest of Doug or Courtney or Bobby. And that psychological distinction has been instrumental in us resolving disputes because <laughs> we don't always agree. Sure. Can you give us an example of something that, you know, maybe you wanted and the two ladies, you know, said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> okay. So there's several. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so there's one that has gone around for a while where I've wanted to hire another person to be in charge of our social media, but more than just in charge of our social media. I want somebody who is not only posting and engaging on social media, but somebody who is keeping more active on it, commenting, hashtagging, ensuring that message, not even just a message responding, but more content is put out there, that it's somebody that can come with us on location and do behind the scenes BTS stuff and in more than we're doing now, because there's only so much that the three of us can do. We can do it as we're doing now. But I wanted more of that. And I wanted to hire somebody for that position to do that. The girls vehemently disagreed with me. They're like, you're not hiring somebody. You're not hiring a film crew to follow you around, Doug. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, you don't get to have your own film crew. To which I said, I don't want that. <laughs> so that conversation started two years ago. And I was very much so voted against on that one, to which I had to drop it. Now I can say, I don't want to jinx it, but they're starting to come around to the idea that maybe there's some utility in that. So I don't want to jinx it, but you know, maybe we're going to be posting a position to hire for somebody on that. We'll see. We'll see. Nice. All right. Let me change tact here slightly. It's pretty obvious, you know, when anyone goes to your website that you guys do photography, you sell products like presets and designs and different things, and you also teach photographers. Can you just give us a rough percentage breakdown of, of how the revenue is split between those three columns? So two years ago, I could have given you a very definitive answer on that. And so during COVID, everything has been thrown up and completely sorted out differently. What happened with us is, as most photographers, we weren't shooting during the start of COVID and for a very long time into it. We had doubled down our efforts and did a lot of work on adding to the website content, product and things like that in order to have another revenue stream. So backing up a little bit before I answer your question, it's more specifically, we understood years ago that at any time, one of our revenue streams can be adversely affected. What we had always predicted was going to happen is that that weddings were going to be on decline. So there's been studies that have been put out there. And basically, by double-digit increments, the millennial generation has been holding off on getting married. And so there has been a steady decrease in the number of weddings. And we saw it reflected in our numbers. We saw it reflected more generally across the industry. And this was universal, whether we were talking to Australian or US or European or Latin America or wherever photographers, we saw this this general decline in terms of number of weddings. So we had always thought, you know, if we're going to have income derived from weddings, we want to make sure that we have income derived from portraits. If we're going to have income derived locally, we do want to also have income derived when we're traveling with because when Wisconsin gets really cold January to February, it's not favorable to be shooting outdoors. So we need to have other revenue streams, part of the reason we started traveling. That's where also fed into where a lot of the actions and presets, the other products that we had been producing for photographers was in response to a need, something we could, a service that we could provide. All in told, between that, our shop and the different things that we're offering, there's about six or seven 
different revenue streams at any given time that we have. So during the pandemic, we were able to sustain ourselves fine. To answer your question then, where are we deriving our income, whether it's from weddings or from portraits or from online education? Two, three years ago, probably 50% of our income was being derived from weddings. Probably 30% of it was being derived from portraits and 20% of it was being derived from online education. Now, because we have bolstered that content from our store, done a lot more work with SEO, done a lot more work with making it accessible, weddings are about 40% of our income, portraits are about 30% of our income, and about 30% of our income is derived from photography education. And it's not that photography, part of that is, is there's, there's a little bit of a disclaimer, like a qualifier there. It's not that wedding income has, has gone down. We're, we're now lights out shooting weddings because of, we're trying to cram three years of weddings into a year and a half. It's just that our revenue from online education and from portraits increased. We had 125% increase year over year, 2019 to 2020 in portraits, just simply because people had more disposable income. So though our weddings are still our, on aggregate our biggest moneymaker, it is a very balanced portfolio. Right. Cool. Okay. And when you say online, you're talking about your actions and presets, but also your face-to-face training, teaching, one-on-one teaching, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. When I put in that into online, I think everything in aggregate right now, I think I, I could tease out the online sales being the actions, the presets, the business products, the portfolio, that stuff. And I could probably differentiate that from the educational content, whether it's online workshops or it's in-person workshops. In-person workshops out of, of all of the, if it's one of the, the six or seven I was talking about before, are actually are pretty small in what we do. But from a business standpoint, they're still brilliant for us to do and we want to do them because of the residual income that comes from that. So I'm always thinking about what can I do not only from an income now, but what's my boots on the ground hustle that I can do that I know is going to lend itself to future residual income. And that's hard, I think, for any business person to be thinking about because residual income, it's passive. It's not, I don't get it now, but it's going to be me meeting with somebody at a workshop at a conference, at a convention and speaking with them. And now six months later, eight months later, whatever, they end up saying, hey, I met you at this conference. I met you at this workshop. I'd like to have a portrait session with you. I was so impressed. Or um, I've now purchased more actions from you or your business documents, the things that you've done to create more seamless workflows for us. I want to go ahead and purchase that. And so what it's really hard as a metric for me to say, like, I know this residual income is there. What, how I quantify it, it'd be really hard to tease it out. But I know it's ever present. And I know it's one of those things and reasons that we keep doing the work on the ground the way we do. For sure, for sure. Well, what's interesting to me, and I know that is going to excite the listener, is the fact that you guys are still deriving a large, a hefty portion of your revenue from actual shooting, mm-hmm. which makes photographers happy to hear because the worst thing they'd want to hear from a guest is they're making most of their income from teaching photographers rather than actually you know, being in the trenches and doing the work. Sure. So that leads me to what I really want to ask you guys about because I'm sure the listener is thinking, Andrew, get onto shooting around the country, shooting around the world and booking sessions because I think – that's a lot of photographers' dreams, sure. especially once we come out of COVID to be able to travel again here in Australia, but also anywhere around the world. What is the best way, do you think, for the listener who wants to travel and book portraits around the country? How can we start to do that and develop a, you know, a successful business doing that? 
Yeah, no, that's a really good question. We get asked this question a lot. And I can tell you, reflecting on it in the last decade, what worked is one very specific thing. And I'll I'll preface it with that as I kind of tell the story. So years ago, this is probably around 2011, 2012, we're shooting in Wisconsin. And so to the listener that doesn't necessarily know Wisconsin's climate, Wisconsin climate is four very pronounced seasons. We have very hot summers. We have very brisk falls. We have very cold winters. And then we have very muddy springs. (laughs) And what that translates to is three seasons that photograph very interestingly. Spring and fall are texturally very beautiful. Summer is very warm, but also very able to be shot. Winter is everybody just wants to sit outside and, you know, make hot cocoa and not go outside. (laughs) And the winter was the problem because years ago, when we're doing only portrait photography or only wedding photography, you're working six, seven, eight, maybe nine months out of the year. And then three months out of the year, you're not earning income. And so if you haven't squirreled away enough money, by April, you're hurting and you're like, man, it just needs to be spring because I need to start shooting some weddings and I need to start getting some final payments in here so that I can pay my bills kind of situation. So when you look at the U.S. geographically, as it's large, as I'm looking at, if I'm looking, if I'm talking from an Australia perspective, maybe Tasmania is cold in the winters and now I want to do something warm and I want to go up towards, I don't know why I'm picking Darwin, but that's literally the only city that I know that's in the, the northern part of the country. Even though it's small. It's way, way too warm. Let's stay with Brisbane. Okay. <laughs> let's go with Brisbane. Sure. <laughs> let's, let's go there. But let's say I wanted to go somewhere else. It's going to be a different climate. So for my wife and I, we, this is prior to Swig and Olive, we have four children. We like Disney. I rephrase that. She loves Disney and I like it by proxy. But she's like, hey, let's go to, let's go to together. Let's take our kids to Disney. And I'm like, sure, let's do that. And as Florida goes, Florida is beautiful in the winter months. January is beautiful because it has azalea blooms and there's different things going on. And so there's some trees that lose leaves, but it's pretty. And so we had said, you know, we travel to Florida so routinely and I've become accustomed to that area. Let's see if we can actually do more shooting in that area. We've tried some things. We tried taking pictures of, um, we tried posting on social media. Hey, we'll be in Florida, right? This is the common thing that people do. Hey, I'll be in such an area. Let us know if you want a session. And like, basically nobody responded to that. Even back in the wild, wild west days of, of social media where everybody saw every post, I think we maybe had one or two people that were on that. That wasn't the right way to do it. And one of the other tactics that we had tried was we had met a couple of photographers in the area and we were like, hey, let's partner up together. You shoot just you know, you don't do weddings. Let's see if we can't find a way to partner together. And and you start, um, when people contact me for weddings, you refer us. And that ended up not going anywhere either. I mean, it was a good idea on paper. It didn't turn out to be anything. What we had tried, what worked was when we were there, we're like, let's just take some pictures of some people that we know. Geographically speaking, because Wisconsin and Florida are so far apart from each other, they look very different. Wisconsin is farmland, rolling grass fields, you know, it's, again, I'm going back to Adelaide and my travels there, or Australia, excuse me, it's like Adelaide, it's like the, it's just, it's rolling glass hills, you know, it's beautiful for what it is, but it looks very different than Florida, which is very tropical, there's lots of Spanish moss and different things. So when you're trying to post images, and you're a photographer that's showing images of Wisconsin farmland, And now you're trying to show and say, hey, we'll be in Florida. People are going to look at those images and and be disinterested because it doesn't connect to them. 
So when we're in Florida and now we're like, hey, we'll just do a couple of sessions. We'll do a model session. We'll do a free session. When we're here this trip, we're going to get some images and we got some content that showed Florida. Now we have a body of work that we can actually do something with. So this was maybe 2011, 2012. We had posted again, hey, we'll be in Florida as we've routinely been. And now we actually got a couple of people to respond back like, hey, those are beautiful pictures. I'd love to have a session with you in Florida. And it was connections. It was friends. But it took time to build to that. And we're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Now in January, where we're not making any money in Wisconsin, we maybe can do two, three, five portraits in a row in Florida and make some money. So then the next year, we had gotten the idea of we're like, hey, where else in the U.S. is warm? Phoenix, Arizona is warm. So let's try going into Phoenix, Arizona. We posted, hey, we got this going. We're shooting in Wisconsin. We're shooting in Florida. Let's try Phoenix, Arizona, completely different climate. And we had posted images of Wisconsin farmland and, and tropical Florida, and nobody ended up booking because none of those images looked and like Phoenix, Arizona. Nobody could connect to that. We still went to Phoenix, Arizona. We just did it because we wanted to take a trip there. And then we're, while we're there, we're like, hey, you know what? What do people want? People want free. So we had posted, hey, looking for a model family to do a session. So we had found a couple of model families. We drove out to the desert. We had found the saguaros, the beautiful different jumping cactuses. I say beautiful because there's there's stories there how I have uh, jumping cactus in places I don't need to have them. Uh, but we ended up doing some beautiful pictures in that area, to which then the next year we had posted, hey, we'll be in Florida. We'll be in Phoenix. And here's some images from Florida. Where's some images of Phoenix. And people were able to connect to that. And that's where it started. So now what we had figured out is we needed to go to areas to build a portfolio to start saying, hey, we can shoot this area. And once we had kind of established ourselves in tropical climates and desert climates and in hilly climates and in farmland climates and all these different looks, after about three, four years of that, now we had built a base and a portfolio that said we could shoot anywhere. And from that, Andrew, we were able to start booking weddings outside of Wisconsin. And from that, we were able to start booking portrait sessions in areas that we had never been before. One of the coolest experiences I had, I remember in 2018, I was like, hey, I just want to go to Japan. I've just been fascinated by the culture. My son had loved it. We were like, I'm just going to post, I'm going to go to Japan. And through social media and through building a brand, I was like, I don't want to take a lot of sessions. I want to take just a handful of sessions because I just want to enjoy myself and I want to focus on giving my son some attention. And within a day, I had 13 inquiries of people who wanted to book while I was in Japan. I only ended up taking three sessions, but now I had three beautiful portrait sessions that I'd shot in, it was in Tokyo and it was during the Cherry Blossom event. And that was such a cool experience to go to such a different place in language that I don't speak, you know, and be able to shoot people in, in those locations. Same thing for Europe, same thing for you know Amsterdam. I'm shooting people that don't speak English as a first language, as a second language, and just being able to show a body of work that is consistent, no matter the location, that's kind of how we built the brand. So I know that's a very long answer to your question. Not at all. It's good. So, but let me just ask you, so why do you think you were able to book or attract so many inquiries for Japan? even though you hadn't photographed there? Because I'm guessing you didn't have Japanese-looking clients, or many. You certainly didn't have Japanese sort of landscapes in your images. Why was that successful? So if you look at the things that you can control as a photographer, 
And so I've asked this question with the photographers, you know, what is the importance of you shooting the same thing? How is it important for you to be consistent within your brand? And so people will give you a myriad of answers and they'll say like, hey, I like to shoot different things because it keeps me creative. Some people like to say like, I like to shoot the same thing because I can really perfect that. And my answer to that question, and I say my, really, honestly, all of our answers to that, Bobby, Courtney, and myself, our answers to that question has always been, I like shooting different things in different locations. That keeps me interested. But we're going to edit it and shoot it with a very basic formula very consistently. And so our formula has always been simple. It has been great light, very specific time of day light that we don't ever waver from. Very beautiful texture that we are constantly on the search. I mean, it is a never-ending march for us to be finding the most beautiful texture that we can. Those two ingredients, Andrew, are the two parts of that recipe that make it work. That from there, we simply just put people into that formula every single time. Find great light, find great texture, put people into it. It's extremely simplistic. But one of the things that I have always appreciated is the best musicians, the best artists, the best anybody. What they've done is they are extraordinary masters of very little. But the things that they are masters of, they are extremely good at. And that's what I wanted to do for all of us is I wanted to be good at recognizing a specific light at sunset, specific textures that look beautiful, and always being able to envelop people into those pieces that if we can edit that consistently, it should translate to literally anywhere in the world that that I can take that formula and make our brand appear for those clients. Sure, sure. I totally understand that. And I appreciate what you just said. And uh, I think it's got so much value. But sticking with the Japanese, I guess, example, if you didn't have images in your portfolio from Arizona, from Florida, but only from Wisconsin, but they were edited in this style, in that light, with that texture, you think, I I know it's a bit of a hypothetical, would you have booked or had the 13 inquiries from Japanese clients? Or did you need to have Arizona and Florida as well? Yeah, I think that's a very fair question. My my gut tells me no. My gut tells me that the variety that we've been able to create, this kind of cacophony, this milieu of images from a lot of different places, the work that we had put in to travel first, unpaid, without solicitation, you know, being able to find model clients in these locations and build a body of work that shows travel is how we were able to earn people's trust to then shoot in a place like Japan. And I I feel pretty strongly on that, not only because I know that has worked for us, but I've seen other photographers attempt to go to places that that don't have the body of work. And it, it just simply isn't successful because it just doesn't translate. I believe pretty strongly that it was an investment in the early days in our business to upfront travel, to upfront do either a paid for model session or a free model session. So paid for model session is just to qualify that is, you know, if you normally charge $500 for a portrait session being like, Hey, we'll do it for X amount of dollars, X being less than that 500, just to be able to get some images and some portfolio there's and, and paid for portfolio. It's a great option or, or free to build that body. And I think that in the early days of that 
helped build the brand identity so that somebody could say, Twig and Olive, there is recognition to working in those areas. I, I really do believe, Andrew, that that translated to the success within Japan and really anywhere we go. So what about the idea for the listener? Let's say they want to travel around Australia and we have different areas, different states, different climates, uh, like you alluded to. Could they go to those areas, advertise on Facebook or Instagram and offer free sessions, book some families, but then do an upsell on the back end? Or do you not like the idea of that? Premium members of Photobiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. Awesome. That, that is a great place to leave this. Doug, for the listener who wants to learn more from and about you guys, where's the best place to go? So we have a lot of different places. You can find us online. Our website is twigandolive.com. From there, you can find our various products within our shop our different workshop opportunities, and where we're traveling, in addition to just about our brand. A lot of it's uh, very well detailed. Many articles are available, and we're constantly adding to that. If you just want to see a snippet of a couple of images, you are able to find us on Instagram, Facebook, and a few other social media platforms that we're kind of growing, including YouTube and Pinterest. Uh, I'm always looking to make sure that our footprint is out there on the growing ever increasing number of social media platforms. Probably going to do some TikTok if I ever get that. I'm looking over at Bobby right now. If I ever get my my video team, maybe we'll have some more TikToks for us as well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But those are the best places to start. I'll add links to all those in the show notes. From me and the listener, massive thanks for coming on and sharing everything you have, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Doug. Wonderful. Wonderful. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it so much what you do for the photography community. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Doug as much as I did. Doug, if you're listening, again, thank you so much, mate, for coming on, sharing everything you have. I love the brand and the style of photography that you guys are producing. It's no wonder you are the success that you are. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Doug had to share. If you'd like to learn more from Doug, I've got links to anything and everything he mentioned in the show notes for today's episode. And this week, they are at photobizx.com forward slash 432. Now in the show notes, in addition to the comments area at the very bottom, we can ask Doug any questions. I've got examples of their beautiful work so you can see the kind and the style of photography that they are producing over at Twig and Olive. And of course, if you are a premium member, I'll be adding Doug into the members Facebook group so you'll have easy access to him there if you do have any follow-up questions or you just want to say thanks for coming on. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Just before we close out today's episode, a final reminder about the LinkedIn course for photographers we recorded the fourth and final installment of the training. Well, Jeff Brown presented the training. I recorded it. The whole thing is now available over at the photobizx.com website. You can access the four weeks of training, the bonus downloads. It's all there in that one spot. You can still get it for $97, US but that goes up to double that price at the end of the month. So you only have a few days left to get in at that special price of $97. In addition to the course content. I've also set up a Facebook group for course participants. The networking and help in there has been phenomenal. So that also comes as part of the course if and when you jump in. And what I love about the course that Jeff presented are the success stories that keep coming in day after day from members 
Just the other day, Ed Shanahan posted inside the group and he said, since the start of the course, I've had three people find me through Google searches, two for headshots and one for family photography. I've never had search clients before. And we went on to learn or have confirmed what Jeff has already told us in the course, that if you have an optimized LinkedIn profile, Google will also be using that content and showing your website for different search terms and adding more SEO juice, for want of a better term, to your website. Again, if you have an optimized LinkedIn profile. So for more details about the LinkedIn course and to get access, head over to photobizx.com forward slash LinkedIn. Okay, that is it for this episode of the podcast. Again, this is the first time I've recorded in this brand new environment in our new home. Please let me know what the audio quality is like. Are you happy with it? Is it too echoey? Do I need to make some changes? I really am interested in your feedback. As far as the house goes, we are absolutely loving it. It feels like we are on holidays in Fiji, surrounded by palm trees in our own little villa. It really is a spectacular little place that we've moved to and we really are happy even more so for the fact that we've spent a few really hard days putting boxes away and unpacking things and setting the house up the way we want we're almost there there's just one room to go and a few little changes to make here and there but we are really really happy and one thing is for sure i will not miss that brush turkey at the old place Alrighty, hope you have a great week wherever you are stay safe healthy and well and i'll talk to you soon bye for now enjoyed this episode head to photobizx.com join the conversation leave a comment and share your thoughts on the interview with andrew and today's special guest